Hello, you're listening to Maghrib and Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, art, culture, politics, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode was recorded on April 1st, 2022, at the Tangier American Legation Institute for Moroccan Studies. In this episode, we welcome Dr. Carl Davila to speak on his research entitled The Lush Garden of Andalusian Music which he conducted in Morocco as a grantee of the American Institute for Maghreb Studies. Dr. Carl Davila holds a PhD in Arabic studies from Yale University. He lived in Fez off and on for nearly three years in the early 2000s and has visited Morocco frequently since then. The first scholar to write extensively in English on the Andalusian music in Morocco, he has published two monographs and numerous articles on the cultural, historical, and literary aspects of this grand musical tradition. At the moment, he's developing a book series with E.J. Brill that will present English translations and commentary for all 11 nubas in the modern and historical repertoires. He is currently Associate Professor of History at the State University of New York in Brockport, where he lives with his family and his cat. Carl, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. We're thrilled to have you. So you are now one of the world's leading experts in Andalusian music. Where did this passion come from? Well... As they say, thereby hangs a tale. <laughs> uh, for the sake of brevity, I'll keep it relatively simple. I was in Fez in the summer of 2000. I was studying my Arabic like a good boy. Uh, and uh, also I was looking for a dissertation topic. You know, this is a fairly major life decision. Right? You're committing a certain amount of time and energy to this. Indeed. Thing. And I had some ideas that weren't going anywhere really. And then it dawned on me, music. I've been a musician all my life. Since I was in fourth grade, I, my music teacher made me play the trombone. I write songs, I've been in bands, I've done all sorts of things with music. That's the obvious passion. So that's the first part. And one thing led to another, and I found myself in a room with a music teacher. One of these beautiful old fessy houses with the zalige tile work on the walls, and the plaster work, and the arches, and the pillars. And here I am with this fellow, with his oud, and I said to him, Play me some songs that Moroccans like to sing. But don't play me pop music. I'm not interested in pop music. I want to know what people sing at home. And he played me some shabby songs, and he played me some methoon songs. And I was not all that struck by him. It was nice. And then he sang a song that began like this. <clears throat> Just and a yamuna qabi Ayesh filhana filhana And imagine in this romantic setting of this beautiful fancy house and I was just enchanted. I have goosebumps. Oh yes. I thought, my goodness, you know, this sounds so medieval and yet it's melodic and beautiful. I said, my goodness, what is that? And he said, well, this is Andalusian music. And in fact, he said, I'm in an orchestra, and I know a lot of these songs, and I can teach them to you. And that was really the beginning. And here I am, 22 years later, in Tanja, talking with you. Wow. So you've been studying the Andalusian music tradition here in Morocco for quite a long time. For the benefit of those in our audience who aren't familiar with it, could you tell us a little more about this song genre? Yes, yeah, certainly. 
Uh, well, the idea of Andalusian music really comes from a group of traditions that are native to North Africa. All the countries of North Africa, from Morocco in the west to Tunisia and western Libya in the east, have these grand almost classical style musical forms that are all clearly connected because they're all very similar musically, although distinct, and they have a couple of similarities in particular that are of interest. First of all, the idea of Andalusian music comes from the notion that these traditions come from the Islamic period in Iberia, what we call Spain and Portugal today. Uh, so this area at the time in the Middle Ages was known as El Andalus, hence Andalusian music. Uh, in Arabic, El Musical Andalusia. So there's this idea. It's probably true, although it's difficult to make a direct link between what we hear in the music today and what was performed then because there was no written music at that time. However, we do have essays and in particular one very famous poem uh, written in El Andalus in the Middle Ages that describe the theory behind the music and this same ideas apply to the modern or the contemporary traditions as well. This poem was written by a very famous literatus named Lisanuddin ibn al-Khatib who died in 1375. So clearly there is some connection to Islamic Iberia. Also, these traditions all have the idea of Anuba. What is Anuba? Anuba is a collection of songs, 100, maybe 150 songs, that are connected by all being composed in the same musical mode, analogous to a scale in Western music. So they would all be performed, for example, in the key of A or the key of C if they were performed in Western music. Some of them have one or two other modes in them that are related, be comparable to, say, performing a piece in C major and then modulating into A minor which has the same notes, but it's a different kind of emphasis. So, all these traditions have a nuba form of one kind or another, and they are all divided into movements according to rhythmic patterns, rhythmic modes. In Morocco, there are 11 of these nubas, and they are divided into five movements based on five different rhythms, one called El Basit, El Qa'im wa Nisf, El Abtaihi, El Darj, and El Qaddam. So you have 11 nubas, each one named after the main mode that it's composed in, and then divided into five individual segments. Okay, so we've got a nuba that's a collection of songs in a specific musical mode. What's the topic? What do they sing about? Ah, well, the range of poetry, particularly in Morocco, is pretty much the same as the range of poetic themes in classical Arabic poetry. So there are love songs. Typically, the love song is the fellow... Tragic or happy? Oh, usually tragic. <laughs> usually, <laughs> yes. Usually the fellow is pining for his beloved who won't give him the time of day or who is, in, for some reason or other, treating him badly. So he's wasting away in his bed and the community wants to know what's wrong with him and so on. A classic story. But there are also happy love stories. Songs where the two lovers are together despite the disapproval of somebody in the community and so on and so forth. So that's one theme, love imagery. Another one is wine drinking, very common. Uh, people getting together to celebrate all sorts of things. Nature poetry as well. There's hmm. quite a few very lovely poems, for example, dealing with sunsets. All the people sitting around, maybe a little pool of water in a garden, and the sun is setting, and the golden light of the sun is illuminating the tree branches and painting all their clothes gold. This kind of thing. Oh, how lovely. Oh, yes. Yeah, some of them are quite beautiful. And of course, some of these sunset poems go toward the idea of meditation on death, right? So the end of the day being like the mm. end of life and so on. 
There are travel poems, uh, riding across the desert in search of a place of repose or safety. And then, of course, there are religious themes. Praise the Prophet Muhammad, alayhi salam, for example. But also mystical themes, meditations on man's place in the universe, uh, spiritual states, what it's like to feel close to God, and so on. So pretty much the range of classical Arabic poetry. No satires, though. No making fun of people in these traditions, generally speaking. Interesting. Okay. So now that we know a little bit more about Nubas, help me understand how this fits into the big picture. What can we learn from studying these various song anthologies? Okay. This goes to the question of what I'm actually doing. You see, there are a number of us in the United States, elsewhere too, but there's a little cadre of us in the States who have taken an interest in these North African musical traditions, standing very strongly on the shoulders of some very important work, of course, done by our North African colleagues and predecessors who've really done much of the most important foundational work that makes our work possible. But of course, every civilization, every culture has its own interests, and so there are some of us who are working on the music itself, performing the music, learning the songs, learning the different styles. There's a very good student ensemble, for example, at the uh, University of California at Santa Barbara. Uh, Scott Marcus is leading there. Uh, there are historians working on the history of the tradition in Morocco or in Algeria, also in Al-Andalus. There are also, uh, we'd say, uh, looking at the music from a cultural or ethnological point of view, sort of ethnomusicology. What role does the Moroccan Andalusian music play in Moroccan society? Or how is it that the people in Algeria come to think of this music as from El Andalus? What does El Andalus mean to them in their daily lives? This kind of thing. I'm on the fringes here in a certain way, because what I do is I look at the texts of the Moroccan Andalusian music themselves. I'm interested in, on the one hand, the history of the repertoire over time, so how has that changed from generation to generation and so on and so forth? And also, what exactly was performed at different stages and different periods in the history? Can I just interrupt you? Uh, I would love to hear some examples. I think that's really interesting of a particular kind of an evolution that you've seen over the generations. Yeah, well, when you dig down into it, you see that there are basically three phases. The first phase, the earliest phase that we have record of, is an anthology composed by a man named Mohammed el Bouessami, who lived in Fez in the first quarter or so of the 1700s. There may have been earlier anthologies, but his is the oldest that has survived. Apparently, the first effort to take everything that was performed and put it into one document, or at least everything that he was aware of. The most famous anthology, however, comes from about half a century later, in the 1780s, by a man named Mohammed bin al Hussein el Haik. He composed the work that is now known as Kunnash al-Haq, al-Haq's Notebook. This is maybe the most famous of the anthologies because it is regarded by musicians and aficionados as really the foundation in terms of the song texts. Um, it even functions as kind of a metonym mm. for the tradition itself. If you go right now onto the Facebook page for the Jamia Hoatra Musical Andalusia in Casablanca, the Andalusian Music Lovers Association, you'll see advertisements where they'll have a little picture of the book, Konash al Haig, hmm. because you see it and you immediately think Andalusian music. You know that it's a shorthand for Andalusian exactly. music. Exactly. Hmm. So that was the end of the 1700s. And then about another 100 years later, the 1880s, another man was commissioned by the Sultan to provide a sort of updating of Konash al Haig, a man named Mohammed bin al Mukhtar al Jamai. 
So we have three major anthologies over the course of a century and a half, more or less. And then, of course, versions of those that have been copied later on into the 20th century. So there are basically three phases in the process. And what I think what's most interesting, if I had to pick one detail, it would be that the repertoire changes over time, but it changes in curious ways. For example, there are songs that were preserved by El Boesami at the beginning of the 1700s that are not in Kun National Hayek but then reappear again in El Jami's hmm. anthology. And there are songs in El Jami's anthology that don't appear in either of the other two. So what does that tell us? That tells us, I think, that even though we have this main stream of written materials that are available to us as historians and literary experts, still there were other branches of the tradition, local performances, local experts who were performing these songs, transmitting them orally, that never quite make it into written form, but then some of the songs are adopted, or some of them are that are forgotten from a previous generation are preserved in these parallel traditions. So I'm coming to think of the Andalusian music not as a single tradition, but as a collection of locally quasi-oral traditions, some of which make their way into writing then. Fascinating. So what brings you to Morocco? What are you working on now? Well, I'm here because there is a completely different collection. You see, there is one anthology of these songs that is very little known. Only experts in the tradition really know anything about it. It has never been written about to any extent, and I've been curious about it for some time. It's been a question in the back of my mind. There are three remaining copies. One is in Madrid at the National Library there, one in Tunisia at the National Library, and one in Rabat at the National Library. Ames and Ta'alim were kind enough to fund me to go and study. I got a copy from Madrid, now I have copies from Tunis and Rabat, and I'm here to try to figure out what this document is, what its connection is to the larger stream of the Andalusian music songs that I've just described mm -hmm. for you, and what's in it. Why was it created? What was its purpose? What can we discover of its... And also, hopefully, try to find out when it was composed, because none of these documents are dated. We have to rely on other techniques to find out what the age of the document is. So that's what's brought me to Morocco now. And these three texts, are they different versions of the same anthology? Now there's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, my initial thought was probably these are simply three copies of some original document from some time earlier. I'm not so sure about that now. Having looked at all three of them, my sense of it is that they are, are the same work. Oh, I should say the work is entitled, it's a beautiful title, the lush garden for the principles of song. Uh, so it's, they're probably, the, they're certainly the same work, but they seem to be organized somewhat differently. And they are organized differently also from the song anthologies that I have been talking about. So I'm still in the process of untangling some of these questions. But if I could, I could I'd show you a couple of examples from these documents that will illustrate one of the questions that's come to mind about them. Oh, I'd love to hear that more. Okay, so if you look at the first picture, this is a page from the document here in Rabat. This is a representation of what the Moroccans call a shajarat al-tabua, that is the tree of modes. So you have a tree form with branches coming off, and each of those main branches has a name. There are four of them, a veil, a zaurakand, uh, and so on. And then each of those branches has branches coming off of it. So what you have are four main root modes and then branch modes that come off it. It's really a representation of the relationships 
between the various melodic modes in terms of their notes and how they're performed. So this is an unusually elaborate version. This appears in a number of documents. It's beautifully rendered. You can see it's beautiful colors, gold and green and so forth. I draw your attention to this because you would think that this would have some kind of relationship to the organization of the document. For example, the song text, Kunesh al-Hayek and so on, these are organized by mode. You know, all the songs in mode el-Maya are in one place, broken down by movement. Not so in Eralda del Renet. So if you look at the second image, here's another page from the same document, and you can see really clearly, the fifth line down, there's big red letters that say, Gairuhu Basit al-Rast. That is to say, another song, like the one before, in the rhythmic mode Basit, in the musical melodic mode Errost. And the very next one says, Zajalan Muasha Utaihi al istihlal That is to say, Zajal Muasha, a style of song, in the rhythmic mode Utaihi, in the musical mode El Istihlal. So here you have two songs next to each other in different rhythmic modes and different melodic modes. So there's some question in my mind then, what is the organizing principle? Hmm. Similarly, if you look at the third example, has much the same thing. This is a page from the document in Tunisia. And you see in the green lettering there, that says that this is a song in the mode Basit from El Ispahan and in the mode El Taihi in Ramad El Maya. So this song is performed in both of those rhythmic modes, two different rhythmic modes and two different melodic modes. What's the organizing principle? One final example. This is an example from the document in Madrid. And here again, much the same thing. The big red letters on the right facing page, Here you have a bunch of songs that are collected in three different modes. And if you look at that tree of modes that we looked at a moment ago, you discover that, for example, Ramal el-Maya, el-Hussein, and Ispahan are not connected. They're not connected in the tree of modes. And in fact, the modes el-Istihlal and Ras are also from different branches. So it's a very open question what the purpose of this document was. My suspicion is it has some kind of musical theory built into it, hmm. but until I can dig through the details and begin comparing the organization of the two documents in detail, it's going to be difficult to say what exactly it is. But that's what I do. That's my little bailiwick there. This is your passion. This is my passion, yes. So where do you go from here? What's the next step? The next step is I take these documents to heart. I start digging through them and I look at, uh, again, which songs are represented, for example, in the mode Raman Maya. Which songs are actually there? Are they the same? Are these two different copies of the same repertoire, so to speak? And then ask the question, well, what is the relationship, for example, between Raman el-Maya and Ispahan, as in this document and in the previous one? What connects those two? And part of that will have to do with reading, a close reading of the introduction to the document, which explains some details, but there's some things that are left rather vague, and I really need to pour through that in some detail. So that's the next step, is really getting into the nuts and bolts of the documents themselves. Well, thank you for listening to Magrib and Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagribpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. Thank you, Carl. Thank you so much.